The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... So if you have planned snacking, it could be, right, I'm eating this pack of crisps, this bar of chocolate, and this biscuit, or whatever it is, at this time. I'm going to carb count, I'm going to take my insulin, I'm going to wait my 10 or 15 minutes, whatever you need for a pre-bolus, and then eat it. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. If you're at the gym, if you're out for a walk, if you're cooking food, if you're just about to inject insulin, welcome. Delighted to have you on board. And thank you for joining us. Graham, what's happening? We back. We back on on another, what day is it? Tuesday? Tuesday. Do you feel the week is going fast or slow? Losing track of the days. Do, um, fast. <laughs> I tell you, I, I know I'm, we're delighted that we're out of lockdown, but uh, one of the advantages of getting out of lockdown is that we can now go out and socialise. Um, but the one thing I didn't miss on is being hung over. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, had, I was out on Friday. And I was out on Saturday and on Sunday, I felt horrendous <laughs> and I hadn't felt like that in so long, but not even just the body and the head, just the mind. Oh, I was like, you know, when you're just having no energy, <laughs> it's so dangerous, yeah. no energy to get up and your, your mind is saying, just lie on the couch. It's okay. And you're like, no, I probably should do something. Luckily yeah. now I had training. On Sunday evening that I had to go to Gaelic football training. So that got me up. But I tell you, one thing. It's like, whoa, I didn't miss this. Oh, that tells you. I, I, I only recently had that conversation with my cousin about how gone are the days you'd go out and then the next morning, fresh as a daisy. No. No done. problem. Done. You know? Finished. And it's like, when, when you go out now, the next morning, if you're not physically tired, you're just mentally tired and the thought of doing anything oh it just it's better off just not (laughs) you know what i mean forget about my complaining about the weekend how are you how are you getting on anything happening in your world nothing too exciting but something i want to point out yeah 
So my CGM was acting up a lot this past week. Don't necessarily know why. A lot of the time with a CGM, which is, as we know, continuous glucose monitor. I'm using the Dexcom at the moment. A lot of the time, the first 24 hours to 36 hours can kind of be a bit dodgy. And let's say the last 24 to 36 hours before your sensor fails can also be a bit dodgy. But the last sensor that I had on, it was just acting up. Like, so I have it on for 10 days. And even during like the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, it was acting up and it was giving me crazy readings. And I know we've touched on it on this podcast before, and I will continue to touch on it because it's important. If you are using a CGM, don't fully rely on it. Naturally, with diabetes tech and tech in general, they're not always going to be 100% reliable. Now, if your phone fails or your laptop fails or whatever fails, not a massive issue. But if something like a CGM for your blood sugar fails and you are treating a high or a low that isn't actually a high or a low, you can find yourself in a tricky enough situation to say the least. So there was one night in particular where my blood, I think I was woken up by a Dexcom alarm like five times through the night, five urgent lows. Okay. So if my blood sugar gets to say four, I'll get a notification saying, your blood sugar's low, your blood sugar's low, treat it, or you're on the way down. Then if I get to below like 3.5 or three, it'll be an urgent low, as in like, you need to you need to really treat this thing fast. But I was woken up five or six times by an urgent low alarm. And I woke up and I was like, there's no way I'm low. Absolutely no way. So every time, obviously just to be sure, I double-checked my finger prick and I was pretty much consistent 4.55 millimoles through the whole night. So if I had of kind of been quick to react with the CGM and rely on that instead of taking a few seconds to be like, hmm, I don't feel low. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm not 100% confident with my CGM. So maybe I should double-check with my finger prick. So if I was too quick to react, I would have treated a hypo that wasn't really a hypo and inevitably I would have skyrocketed. So the moral of the story is if you're not 100% sure of your CGM's readings or you feel as if it's telling you you're high or you're low and you know, I don't feel high or I don't feel low, always double check. Always, always, always. I think there's definitely an episode in the future into uh, CGMs. 100%. I think so. But for now, we're going to touch on a couple more emails because so many are coming through and we love getting around to them. And uh, we have about three or four lined up for this episode. Owen. So will I jump straight into it? Absolutely. And to remind people who, well, to let people know who haven't listened to an email episode yet, these are obviously emails sent in by the listeners I haven't read them. I don't know what's coming up. I'm hoping they're nice and friendly, which they, which they usually are. Uh, Graham reads them out and we'll, we'll tackle them as we go. Okay. First one is from James Ronald and he says, mindset is everything. 
He says, hello, Owen and Graham. Just wanted to start off saying, I think what you both are doing is changing lives. I've had type 1 diabetes for 28 years, starting when I was six years old. So I really haven't known a life without type 1. Your mindset and message is contagious. I've had a similar mindset throughout my life, not letting diabetes prevent me from doing anything. It's amazing to hear about so many type 1 diabetics in the same boat. Today, at 34 years old, I'm doing everything I've wanted to. I've played at the highest level minor hockey in Canada as a goaltender, excelled at school, going to university to become a mechanical engineer, became a professional engineer, and now I'm a licensed shift manager responsible for managing a large nuclear power plant. My training is similar to a commercial pilot, five years of classroom and simulator training and rigorous exams along the way. We have trained to respond to the most extreme scenarios and practice them regularly. I'm one of the youngest shift managers in the plant's history. I've always used diabetes to my advantage, whether it's been in tune with my body or being absolutely prepared for a task. This preparation has spilled over into my personal life. Success in a stressful situation can be attributed to preparation and mindset. I don't think I'd be where I am today without these skills that diabetes has equipped with me. Keep doing what you're doing and spreading the word about mindset. All the best. And that is from James. And That is an incredible email on to start off this episode with. Yeah, wow, that's unreal. First of all, thank you, James. I really appreciate you getting in touch and we appreciate you listening to the podcast. There was a lot in that one <laughs> and it seems as if there's very few things that James hasn't done or doesn't do, which is always good to hear. So the fact that he is consciously aware of the fact that diabetes isn't and shouldn't be something that should prevent you from doing what you want to do. He said himself, He's, what did he say? He's playing hockey, excelled at school, university engineer, and now in charge of like a power plant. Not bad. No, not bad, not bad at all. Yeah. What jumped out at me, so what something James said jumped out at me there was, is that he used his diabetes to his advantage. And I love that. And it's like, what we say on this all the time is, don't let diabetes be an excuse for you not doing something make it be a reason for you to do something. And he touched on him kind of being better prepared for stress, like stressful situations, more in tune with his body, prepared for difficult tasks. And that's what diabetes does for you. Sometimes without you even realizing, it can prepare you for stressful situations in your day. Because essentially we have to deal with a stressful situation 24 hours of every single day and whether you realize that or not you can still be benefiting from it and it goes back to when when i talk about not reacting emotionally to your blood sugars that's just a perfect example when your blood sugar goes higher when your blood sugar goes low potentially it can be very stressful and particularly if your bloods are like skyrocketing you can be super stressed about that because you're like, why is my blood sugar spiking? I've done everything right. I've carb counted. I've taken insulin. Why is it still, why is it still spiking? But instead of reacting emotionally to that, take a step back and look at it for what it is. It's your blood sugar spiking. It's your blood sugar dropping. Our blood sugar isn't conscious. It's not trying to frustrate us, but it can easily frustrate us. But if you separate yourself from the emotional response to that, and look at it almost like an opportunity for you to practice 
how to deal with stress, you can look at it differently. So yeah. instead of the next time your blood sugar spiking and you you saying, why the fuck is my blood, why is my blood sugar spiking and getting yeah. stressed out and frustrated and annoyed, just take a breath and say, okay, why has that happened? Because it's happened for a reason, whether you understand that reason or not, it still happened for a reason. Stress, dehydration, movement, lack of sleep, food, whatever it is. Don't react to it emotionally. Try to understand why it's happened. And that's obviously worked in James's favor in terms of what he does and the, and the detail and the extent of some of the jobs that he's done. He's just better prepared for that. And as he said himself, mindset's everything. He's probably pretty thick-skinned from the sounds of it, which is good to hear. And obviously quite ambitious. So if he was on the podcast right now, I'd love to ask James, would he be as ambitious as he is if he wasn't diagnosed with diabetes? And a lot of the guests that we've had on this podcast would say no. And the one that jumps out at me is Sebastian Sasseville, the the guy who yes. basically ran across Canada, climbed Mount Everest, did all these unbelievable things. The fact that you you led with uh, ran across Canada as opposed to climb Mount Everest just shows how much he's actually done. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Imagine, th- this isn't just the climb Mount Everest. He also ran across Canada. And he ran across the Sahara Desert in like five days. <sighs> what a guy. So he jumps out at me and he even said on the podcast, I think he said on the podcast or before we recorded He said that if he wasn't diagnosed with diabetes, he wouldn't have done those things. So thank you, James. Yeah. I appreciate it. Good to hear it. Sebastian's is a must listen to, but thank you, James, as Owen said. We'll move on to number two. A couple of questions from Megan White. And Megan says, hey, Owen, my name is Megan and I'm from Australia. I followed you for a long time on Instagram, but have only recently started listening to the podcast. I have a few questions. Number one. I've had diabetes since I was five and I'm now 18, so I've grown up with it, but I've recently discovered that I need to start looking after it much better. My control has been really bad lately. I've stopped checking my blood sugar as often as I used to, and I've forgotten insulin on some days lately. I exercise every now and then, but don't have a proper routine. How would you suggest I get back on track and get back to the routines I once had? As always, thank you, May. Is it Megan or Megan? Megan? Megan, yeah. Thank you, Megan, for getting in touch. I appreciate it. It's always good to hear people from across the globe listening to the podcast, which is cool. But yeah, look, I can understand how difficult it can be kind of going through different phases of your life, still trying to manage your blood sugar, because no matter no matter what stage in our life we're at, our diabetes management still has to be somewhat a priority, probably the priority in our life. So of course, it can be difficult adjusting to different phases, but still continue to keep on top of your bloods. But the fact that you have been in that routine before can make it easier for you to get back into it because you know you're capable of... <clears throat> I was wondering when the voice crack was going to come. I don't think you've had a voice crack in the last couple of episodes that I've been on. Really? I think so. Yeah, I had a couple calls earlier and my voice was like constantly cracking so i i, I thought this podcast it's good, it's good. Would, we actually, uh, would be a tricky one we got a few emails going where was the voice crack they were the people <laughs> yeah. miss it it's the third member of the podcast is the voice crack yeah exactly 
Um, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> but what I was saying was that because Megan had already been in that routine, she's essentially proved to herself already that she can stay in that routine. But of course, when we kind of fall off the wagon in terms of our health, our fitness, our routine, specifically because she's asking, it can be difficult to get back in it. And if she's exercising but not as consistent, it can be hard. And then if you don't have that routine, it can lead to things like forgetting your insulin. Not ideal. But a few tips that I would use if you're specifically talking about exercise at home. Now, I don't know whether or not she goes to the gym or she goes for walks or those kind of things. But if you keep yourself accountable to certain actions or tasks in a day. And what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, you gave yourself a target of, say, 10,000 steps a day and three workouts a week. If you write them down or you put them somewhere or you're even making that decision in your own head, it's easier to stick to it rather than getting up in the morning and saying, oh, will I, will I train today? Will I exercise today? You probably won't because we've we've a very strange and unique ability to talk ourselves out of doing things like going for a walk or exercise. So if you are, let's say, training at home, try to stick to a specific time of day for, say, half an hour, 45 minutes or an hour, and that's your time to work out. So if you say 11 a.m. every day is my workout time, it's harder than to avoid it because that's kind of your time set. And another thing you can do is what I what I like like to do over the lockdown when the gyms were closed because it was sometimes difficult to stay consistent with home workouts, make a playlist. It can sound like something stupid and not very valuable in terms of trying to get you going. But making a gym playlist really helps because you're kind of like, hmm, I'm looking forward to listening to that new mm-hmm. playlist. Can I actually say, that's, that's what I do, but in a slightly different context. I listen to my favorite podcasts when I go to the gym. So some days that I'm not really feeling the gym and I'm a little bit tired, I know when I'm going in there, I'm actually going to have a really good time because I'm going to listen to said podcast. So I'll really enjoy it as well. And it does work 100%. And do you listen to this podcast, Grant? Absolutely. I listen to it <laughs> the only when I'm in it. And then when I edit it afterwards, and then I listen back to it for a third time in the gym, just to make sure it's still good. <laughs> Imagine. Oh. So yeah, try and give yourself a time to train each day. It really helps. Create a playlist. And even something like getting new gym gear can give you an extra yeah. boost to kind of get back into that routine. Yeah. Another thing which is important is try to remind yourself of how you will feel after a workout. No one ever regrets doing a workout. It just doesn't happen. You have more energy. You'll sleep better. Your bloods will be managed better. Your insulin sensitivity will be increased. And you'll just feel good. But in terms of the insulin and forgetting that, you definitely can't forget to take your insulin. It's important. So in terms of your mealtime insulin, I don't know whether or not Megan is on a pump or MDI, but... Do not allow yourself to have a meal without taking your insulin. It's very important. And for the basal insulin, even set a timer. I split my background insulin. I have an alarm for 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. And that keeps me on the ball to make sure I take them at the same time. 
I think we move on to part two of Megan's email. She says, I work in a supermarket, but I'm often doing different amounts of work and different types of work that affect my blood sugar differently. For example, if I eat before I start without insulin, I will likely go high. But if I do insulin, I will likely go low. It is really hard to make routines around work. Do you have any other advice for this? Good question. Very good question. And it's something that people can find themselves struggling with a lot. And with stuff like that, again, I don't really know what Megan does for work, but I'm guessing she's pretty active considering the fact that she seems to drop if she takes insulin. So I'm guessing she's moving. If you feel as if your work is a lot of moving, a lot of walking around, a lot of lifting things, whatever it could be, have the same thought process of it being like a workout. Because if you're planning for a workout, you're looking ahead, you know that, hmm, okay, my blood sugar is probably going to be influenced by that workout in some way. So therefore, you're planning in advance. So if I'm going out for a run, I'll reduce insulin. If I'm going to do heavy weights, could potentially need more insulin. Now, if Megan's going into work and her blood sugar is high if she doesn't take insulin and it's going low when she does take insulin. What I would do in that situation, again, this isn't me giving insulin advice. It's just me if I was in that situation. I would look at the meals that I'm eating. And what I mean by that is if I'm going into work and I know that my blood sugar will likely spike if I reduce the insulin, if you reduce the carbohydrate of that meal, you won't require as much insulin. But if in that meal you still have, say, protein and fat, it's still potentially going to hold your blood sugar a lot more stable than not eating anything at all. Then if you still want to have the same type of food before your work and try to prevent your blood sugar dropping, look at reducing your insulin. Treat it like a workout or treat it like a walk. If you know that you're going for an hour-long walk after a meal, you're probably going to reduce your insulin before that walk for the meal. And sometimes if it's work, you don't really associate it with movement. You might not associate it with exercise at all. So if you know you're going to be moving around, Megan, slightly cutting back on the insulin can prevent you from dropping because, of course... Our blood sugar dropping is is the last thing we want as a diabetic. And finally, how do you stop snacking throughout the day and stop yourself from being so hungry and eating for the sake of it? Thanks so much for reading my email and continuing to advocate through the podcast. I'm really enjoying listening to it. That is from Megan. Thank you, Megan. Again, much appreciated. And your last question, another good one. Snacking can be very tricky for the bloods. And if I'm speaking to a client or I'm speaking to somebody who might start working with me, a similar or a common issue that people have is the snacking that they're doing, what they're snacking on, and how it affects your blood sugar. First of all, Megan, I would look at the food that you're eating outside of your snacking. If you feel as if you're, you're kind of snacking for no reason, and you're not really that hungry, and you kind of, you might even just feel as if you have like a bit of a sugar craving and you need that quick fix. You know, if you have like a, like I always crave chocolate or something after dinner, you know. Mm. But <laughs> if you fill your diet with satiating foods, it can really help 
prevent the need or the urge for snacking. So satiating foods could be fruits, vegetables, lean proteins. Basically, protein and fiber are very satiating foods, which help keep you more full for longer. Now, snacking isn't just a bad thing. It can depend on what you're snacking on. And I'm a big believer in not restricting what you eat to manage your blood sugar. You need to be able to manage your blood sugar regardless of what you eat, just with different doses, timing, etc., etc. Another thing you can do and what I, another, another thing that can be beneficial and what I call planned snacking is basically decide what you want to snack on and treat it like a meal. Because essentially, if we understand our insulin timing, we understand our insulin to carb ratios, and we stick to a certain carb count per meal, we can pretty much eat anything we want. Now, to a certain extent, I wouldn't tell everybody to go eat whatever you want. But essentially, that's what it means. And if you have a planned snack, that means that instead of kind of picking at this, picking at that, picking at this, throughout the day and kind of taking insulin here, taking insulin there and getting lost with what insulin is for what snack. You can kind of, you you can, you're stacking your insulin and you're not really sure of what's left in your system, what's active, what's working still. So if you have planned snacking, it could be, right, I'm eating this pack of crisps, this bar of chocolate, and this biscuit, or whatever it is. At this time, I'm going to carb count, I'm going to take my insulin, I'm going to wait my 10 or 15 minutes, whatever you need for a pre-bolus, and then eat it. One of the most important things, and one of the most beneficial tactics for your blood sugar each day, is to spread out your meals. What I mean by that is, if you have each meal about three or four hours in like between each other, a gap in between, you know that every time you go into another meal, the insulin that you've taken for the last meal has likely run its course. Whereas if I have a meal at 1 p.m., I take insulin and then I'm kind of hungry and I have a snack at half one, I take more insulin. And then I pick at something again and I might not take insulin this time. You, you kind of get lost at where your blood sugar is going. Whereas if you have times for your meals or you say simply, right, I'm going to have a substantial meal three or four times a day, three or four hours between each. It just makes life a lot easier. You don't have that sense of kind of getting lost in the insulin that you're taking and not understanding what direction your food's going in because you're you're picking at things all the time. What's your favorite snack? I'm loving O'Donnell's crisps. Flavor. They're so nice. Oh, you know salt they t- and vinegar. They taste a luxury as well for some reason. Don't they? <laughs> or do you ever have the Ballymaloo relish flavor O'Donnell crisps? No, never. They are, oh my God, unbelievable. Or chips for our American-Canadian contingent. Yeah. Not if crisp. anyone, yeah, that could be the first sponsor to the podcast, O'Donnell's Crisps. Yes. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> we are the luxury crisp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for that, Megan. Thank you, Megan. We move on to Mary. This is a quick one now, Owen. Just says a quick hello. Hey, Owen, I just wanted to throw you a quick email to say how much I'm enjoying the podcast. Only two months diagnosed, and I thought my life was over. But from listening to your podcast and using it to search deeper, I've learned so much in a short time frame. 
My nurses are well impressed. You really have been an enormous help. And I just want to let you guys know. And that is from Mary. Oh, that's unreal. Thank you, Mary. Greatly appreciated. Um, yeah, that's unreal. Like I, I almost don't really know what to say to that. Um, sometimes when I have those days that I kind of question what I'm doing. Do you yeah. know, we all have those days where you might not be in the best mood or whatever it is. And if I have a day where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, should I be doing a podcast? Should I be doing whatever I'm doing? It's messages like that that really, really, really mean a lot to me personally. So thank you, Mary. Really appreciate it. And I'm glad that you've benefited from the podcast. It's great to hear. And I know, obviously, firsthand, it's it's not an easy adjustment in your life regardless of what age you're diagnosed with type one, but all the resources are out there for you. There's so much you can learn so quickly. And even nowadays, even just with social media, there's a, there's a fantastic opportunity for you to just kind of connect with people all around the world in the same position as us. So you'll, uh, you'll have no issues at all. You'll be flying. So thank you. I appreciate that a lot. And we'll move to the final email. This is questions about morning dog walks from Cassie Gonzalvo. <laughs> and Cassie is the second Canadian to feature on Ooh. this week's podcast. Well, actually, we don't know where Mary is from. Mary could be from Canada as well, or she could be from Ireland. We don't know. Hello, Owen and Graham. My name is Cassie, and I've been diabetic for over 25 years. And there's never a day that I don't learn something new about my own diabetes. I want to thank you for having such a great podcast. And oddly enough, I love listening to someone who reads their glucose numbers in millimoles. Ha ha! A Canadian <laughs> here. Do Canadians do millimoles? Yeah, they would do... Oh, I, I would get them mixed up with the state. Well, the states definitely do a milligram per deciliter. Um, yeah, Canada do millimoles. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I should know that. <laughs> Anyways, I'll get to my question. Every morning, I walk my dogs for about an hour, which is about four kilometers. I've been trying to master what to do in terms of food and insulin before my walk that doesn't A, drop me too low on a walk or B, stops a decent spike. Any advice on how to do this simple activity I love? I walk around 6.30am and I prefer to eat before I head to work as a school teacher. I know the rule of thumb is to try not to exercise with any insulin on board, but I'm looking to stabilise my blood sugars. Thanks again. Keep the podcast going. Um, And Cassie is 33 years old. She's using a Medtronic pump, Dexcom G6. P.S. One of my friends moved to Canada from Ireland when she was a kid. Can't say enough amazing things. Hope to travel there one day. That is from Cassie. I think we said it before. I think we need to get a big plane if Aer Lingus or Air Canada want to sponsor it and either (laughs) do the Irish going over to the Canada listeners and the Canadian listeners come over to Ireland to to do a live Insulone podcast. Well, that is Cassie. What do we think about that, Owen? Yeah, very good. Again, thank you, Cassie, for getting in touch. Greatly appreciated. I always love these emails coming in. So that's actually quite similar to Megan's question about trying to understand how to treat her food and insulin prior to going to work. Similar enough situation. We all want our blood sugar to be kept as stable as possible, regardless of what we're doing. But Cassie pointed it out. She said, any advice on how to do this simple activity I love? It just emphasizes how 
even the simplest things need so much planning. And the simplest things that you can take for granted just in everyday life, you you have a sudden realization once you get type one that, uh oh, pretty much everything is affected. But anyway, there are ways around everything, obviously. And it's just about treating your blood sugar like an everyday science experiment, like, like we've said on this podcast plenty of times before. So from my perspective, if I am exercising first thing in the morning or exercising at all, I will always try and aim to not have any insulin on board. Now, I know she specifically said that she wants to have her breakfast. She wants to have her insulin because she's going to work as a school teacher. It's important. So if you can't, if you don't have the opportunity to have no insulin on board, then it's just about adjusting your insulin for the meal that you are having. So let's say, for example, I am bringing my dog out for a walk in the morning. And my usual breakfast that I have is two slices of toast or three slices of toast, and it's 50 grams carbs. Let's say that's Cassie's breakfast. If my normal breakfast before the walk and before school is, say, 50 grams of carbs and my insulin to carb ratio is 1 to 10, that means that normally I need five units to counteract that 50 grams of carbs. Now, because I'm going out for a walk, the walk itself will likely lead to my blood sugar coming down. And the insulin that I've just taken would work more efficiently because I'm moving around. So if my normal insulin to carb ratio is 1 to 10, and I'm taking 5 units for that toast, if I know that I'm just going to be sitting around watching TV, 5 units is going to do the job, most likely. But if I know that I'm going for a walk, I likely need to reduce that insulin. So that reduction could be anywhere from 10%, 20%, 30%, even 50%. So if it was me, what I'd be doing is I'd be having my breakfast. Oh, well, I'd be taking my insulin first. I'd be having my breakfast. And the reduction that I would give would be about even 50%. Because instead of five units, I'm taking, say, 2.5. Hopefully letting my bloods be slightly higher so that the walk can bring it down, but keep me consistent. So it's almost like the fact that you're taking less insulin, your bloods are being pulled up. And because you're walking, your bloods are being pulled down. What can be tricky in that scenario at the same time is how soon after you go for a walk. So if I reduce my insulin for a meal and I don't walk for an hour, in that hour, my blood sugar is likely going to spike because I'm not moving yet. Whereas if I reduce the insulin and I go for a walk in five minutes or even in 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you're moving soon enough after you've eaten so that it can already start to bring your blood back down. To summarize that answer, if Cassie wants to stick to the breakfast that she always likes to stick to and she likes to eat before work. Stick to the breakfast. Adjust the insulin accordingly and look at the time in which you're going out for the walk. So again, if it was me, I'd be doing a reduction of say 30 to 50% insulin and making sure I'm walking within 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, Cassie. You. 
And thank you, Mary, Megan, and James for emailing us this week. And Owen, we love the emails. We love getting them in and we encourage more and more and more. Always. I know I say it at the end of every email episode, but I mean it. If you're listening to this podcast and you think you have a cool story or you just have a story or you have something diabetes related you want to get off your chest, you have any questions, anything you want to share with us, don't hesitate to reach out. We love getting these. I love doing these episodes. And it's something that might not seem valuable to you because it's your story or your question or your experience. But that story, question or experience could really help somebody else that listens to the podcast. So it's almost like a way to help other people. Yep, definitely. And look, if the podcast helps you, it will likely help someone else too. Yeah, that email address is theinsulowenpodcast at gmail.com. It's in the bio of the description of this podcast, wherever you're getting it. And be sure to rate, subscribe and tell a friend. Pass the podcast along. If you know another diabetic person, let them know about the Insulone podcast. The more people that know, as Owen always says, the better it is. Absolutely. The more people reach, the bigger impact it can make. Have a great week. Have a great day. Look after those blood sugars and we'll chat to you soon. Bye.